so Hebrews 10.23 is the scripture passage that Rick reminded us of last week and said, better memorize that. So I'm here to remind us that this is what we're going to be going through this Advent season. If you don't already have it written down on all your note cards posted all over your house and put on your phone, we're going to have an opportunity to go through it right now. So with all of your beautiful voices, let's say Hebrews 10.23. Here it goes. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, for he, for he who promised is faithful. Man, I thought I knew it, but I didn't. Here we go. Let's try it again for my sake. How about that? To Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There it is. <laughs> And Rick really introduced that passage with us, reminding us of the hope that we need in this time of life and reminding us that hope starts with honesty. Hope starts and begins with that place of recognizing that I am a sinner. We are, I am the worst of sinners. Um, but because of that, I can see how glorious and beautiful and amazing that Jesus is for coming and dying for me. And today we're going to see that hope is also a movement. It's not just a realization that we can hold on to, but it's also a springboard into opportunity. As the next verse in Hebrews goes on to say, um, in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. And so that hope that we hold on to is meant to be a springboard to love and good deeds. And give us opportunity for that. And to help us see that today, I brought along a friend. This is Steve. Steve, Steve, Steve here. You can see him on the streaming there. It's a piece of wood. And um, if you can tell, there's some carvings and markings on him. What if I were to tell you that Steve is actually a replica of a Canaanite fertility god? which would be back in the Jewish day and people would worship and um, there was, you could talk about all the ways that um, different markings, this is like centuries old that this is a replica. And we would, there would be great opportunity to talk about um, the symbolism of the markings and that the way that the carver made different things and uh, it would kind of be a cool conversation. It opened up a lot of opportunity for conversation and uh, to maybe even praise a little bit the workmanship of the creator. But this is not, that's not what Steve is. <laughs> Steve is an accident. <laughs> I made Steve a few weeks ago when I was with a friend of mine. Um, we were just, he was a carver workman, uh, and he just kind of showed me a few different um, carpenter tools and how to work with some wood in a little different ways. And we carved a little bit and we said, oh, that kind of looks like a spoon rest. So we made this part here and said, oh, maybe we can make this into a spoon rest. And then with some other markings, we were like, oh, that kind of looks like legs. And then we curved out here and maybe that looks like a head. So then we added some hair things. Um, and voila, there's Steve. How about that? <laughs> and the way I think about it is I often go through life kind of with a Steve mentality. What I mean by that is we see ourselves and the scars and the chip 
chipping away that life has on us, as uh, kind of bumps and bruises and accidents, things that I'm hoping that God is going to make into something somewhat useful, maybe. <laughs> um, at least I hope so. And it kind of ends up with me having a little doubt about the skill of the person who created this, which you should, because I'm terrible at this, making this thing. Um, but in my life, I think it kind of ends up with me feeling stuck. Me feeling like, well, I just have to wait for God to, re to redeem these star scars, to make something better of me. So I feel stuck. And I don't know what that stuckness is for you. Um, I know we had a big snowstorm on um, Wednesday or Tuesday. It was Tuesday. I didn't get stuck in it, by the way, just to let you know. Um, front wheel drive is helpful with that. But I wonder if some people got stuck in that snow and they felt that. Some of you are feeling stuck at home right now. Um, some of you are feeling stuck in relationships or stuck with the same friends you've had since middle school. Some of you are feeling stuck in middle school or high school. Some of you are feeling stuck with your kids at home or your kids and you're feeling stuck with your parents. Ah, we can always feel that stuckness, right? Um, and we all just wonder, what's God going to do with this? What's God, what is God going to carve out? To make, is he going to make something beautiful of this? Well, in order for us to have that confidence in our hope, I think we have to start moving from a Steve mentality to a biblical mentality that uh, we see in the Christmas story that we're about to read here. Because the reality of the gospel is that we are not stuck. There is... God gives us opportunity through hope. And the reality is that you're not an accident, but God made every part of your life and your story on purpose. And how does he do that? Well, we're going to dive into our Christmas story here today. Very um, quick look at a very familiar but beautiful Christmas story. I could read it with a Linus voice if I wanted to, but you... Um, no, this story is read in the Charlie Brown Christmas every year, but it is actually taken from Scripture itself. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. And it says this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Well, let's, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a beautiful passage. What a beautiful story to remind us of um, the hope. Pray that as we dig into this, that you would indeed open our hearts. You would open our minds. Give us strength to focus and to comprehend. Whatever of my words that are untrue, may they be forgotten. Whatever words of mine that are encouraging and uplifting, may you through your spirit Dig them deep into our souls. Transform us, Lord, through your word. In your name, amen. So the familiar story of the shepherds. Well, it may not actually have been a quaint kid's story when it was happening. You know, when I think of this, and if I can make such a gross comparison, it'd be like mashing a Marvel movie with, like a fantasy romance. Okay, very strange, right? But like, think of like these multitudes of heavenly hosts. By that I mean battalions of angelic armies. That's what that word means. Popping into the night sky. Now, that would have been pretty fearful. Right? We, we don't blame the shepherds for being afraid. Well, you know, I think of like Thanos' army just like showing up and wow, there's fear. Um, and then there's like this fantasy romance idea where there's these unlikely characters called shepherds are given these, this quest to go and find this, this child in a, ma- in a manger in somebody's house. I don't know where the house is, but some random house, and they go through, and they find, and then at the end, it sees them celebrating with great, just giddiness and great joy. This is just an amazing, beautiful story. But do you catch the movement there? Do you catch the movement from the shepherds kind of being stuck to them having hope? Maybe, maybe not so far, but look again. In verse 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, Bible study note for you, as I love teaching people how to read Scripture. It's more fun than actually teaching people Scripture, how to read Scripture. Uh, how to read Scripture. First thing you do, you read a verse and you ask as many questions as you can about it. Okay? So, in the same region, what region are they in? There were shepherds. Who are shepherds? Out in the field. Why are they in a field and not in a manger or in a stable? We know there are stables. They were keeping watch over their flock. Why are they watching a flock when they could be with their families by night? Why are they out? Again, why are they out at night and not in stables? Um, Ask as many questions as you want in Scripture. It's open to it. But um, the way that I see these, this scripture 
and the way that many people who have dug down into the annals of history have seen it is the shepherds are not just your quaint guys with the turban and the, the crook, you know? They're actually these pretty rough characters. <laughs> they had to be strong in order to fight off enemies that the, the sheep, you know, like bears and lions, they had to be strong enough to fight them. <laughs> they were smelly and they stunk of sheep and they stunk of poop and they stunk of grass, the things that were around in that day in the shepherd fields. And because they stunk like that, they also were religious outcasts actually. Because in Jewish law, those who came near blood and those who came near dead things were not allowed to the temple. And so they actually worshiped with the Gentiles in the outside of the temple, shepherds did. So they were church outcasts. And not only that, is they weren't even allowed to testify in court. They were social outcasts because people saw them as being liars and thieves. So why are shepherds out in the field keeping watch by their flock, at their flock by night? I'd suggest to you they don't have really anywhere else to go. No fam, friends, <laughs> no people um, to welcome them into a, a service. Social outcasts. And maybe you can think of them like your modern day homeless person. We don't even, we look at them and most people walk right by. It's a sad reality, but it's true. Are they welcome in our church? I would sure hope so. <laughs> because in this story, God chooses this people to be the center of the most incredible moment in human history. Think about it. Nobody else saw baby Jesus in this way. Mary and Joseph did, but as we'll learn next week, spoiler alert, the wise men weren't even there for this baby. He was there when Jesus was a boy. So these are the only eyewitnesses to Jesus as a baby. These people who by law were not allowed to be witnesses in court. God chose them <laughs> to see this baby boy, Jesus, and to be welcomed by this angelic multitude and proclamation. Could God have chosen someone else? I dare say he could. <laughs> Mary had some relatives who were priests. We knew that from Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? He could have gone to a priest. Could have gone to some prophets. He could have gone to some people who were zealously awaiting for the Messiah. But God did not. <laughs> he went to the fields. He went to these outcasts. He chose the unlikely. He chose the seemingly invisible. For God is in the business of turning our weakness into witness. He's in the business of turning our weakness into witness. That's why that honesty is so important for hope. But remember, it doesn't end there. It's a springboard to opportunity. When I was in college a few years ago, um, I thought... It was my purpose in life to make people laugh. So I became an expert in jokes, laughter, 
funny things, Mr. Bean, all these type of things that um, I just wanted to lighten the mood, encourage people. And that was my purpose in life. Now, I made some enemies that way. <laughs> Actually, you can. And I also came across a circumstance that I could not put a joke on. See, my, when I was a senior in college, my older sister, my only sister, died in a car accident. And I couldn't laugh. I couldn't put a joke on it. I, my, where was my purpose? But oddly enough, the things I heard years afterward from my friends, as I'd still talk to them, they remember me. They don't remember me as, hey, remember that story you told, that joke you had, the fun time? They remember saying, remember when we mourned together? Remember when we sung in Christ alone at your sister's funeral? You remember when you preached um, a little sermonette right afterwards and you cried. And those very moments, that very moment where I felt stuck, purposeless, grieving was the, one of the greatest opportunities I've ever had for witness, for truly sharing my life with someone around me. It's been one of my favorite verses ever since that time. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. See, in our weakness, in our feeling of hopelessness and stuck, that is where God delights to bring witness. Those very wounds that we're ashamed of, those very things that we thought were accidents are actually God's purpose for bringing others into your story, to bring about opportunity for love and good deeds. Now, Back to our story here, because I might have gone on a little tangent there. <laughs> um, it's fascinating how the shepherds, after they had been turned into witnesses, as verses 18 and 19 show us, that all of them, the shepherds then, went around and told whoever they could. And then Mary treasured up these things. And in fact, the only reason that we have this story written in Scripture is because Luke was able to interview Mary she treasured up what these shepherds turned witnesses <laughs> had seen. Did you notice what verse 20 said? This is, this is the strangest, this is the biggest question I had about this text. If you're asking questions throughout this whole story, the final verse is the biggest question I had. Where did the shepherds go after this? Verse 20, the shepherds returned to their field. Oh, come on. Like, don't you want to, like, say, go to your family, go be missionaries, like, go to the temple and spread the word? They go to their fields. <laughs> they go back to the very stink hole from which they came. Yikes. Like, what, what, are they, what do they see? 
why did they go there? There's no change in status. There's no change in their stigma. They go back. Wow, could ask that, go thinking about that question for a long time. But uh, we don't have that much time, so I'm going to give you some answers here that I think I found, is that God doesn't anywhere in Scripture seem to promise in this world change in status. Yikes. Now, don't get me wrong. The gospel should change social structures and should change social statuses and should make invisible people visible. And there should be no homeless on the streets and there should be nobody who is overlooked and underlooked. The gospel should change all of that. But oftentimes it, it doesn't. So what do we do with that? Well, the, God doesn't always promise a change in status. But he does promise to transform every circumstance into worship. Opportunity for worship. What were the shepherds doing when they returned to their fields? It says in verse 20 that they were glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen. Could it be that it's... God isn't just interested in these like big worshipful moments of our life. But he actually also is very interested in the mundane everyday realities of our work and home life. There's a beautiful little book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Um, I highly recommend it for any of you who are interested in pursuing this question further. But here's a quote of it from the author. She says this, I was and remain a Christian who longs for revolution, for things to be made new and whole and beautiful in big ways. I'm very much like her. <laughs> but what I am slowly seeing is that you don't, can't get to the revolution without learning to do the dishes. <laughs> That's tough the kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. <laughs> oh, I don't like those words. <laughs> I often want to skip the boring daily stuff to get to the thrill of an edgy faith. But it's in the dailiness of the Christian faith, the making the bed, the doing the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading the Bible, the quiet, the small, that God's transformation takes root in Peter Travis. See, sometimes I think that that stuckness we feel has to do with a little bit more of waiting for God to do something big or amazing without taking opportunity in the little Perhaps everything about life, from homework to business calls to paying the bills to even brushing your teeth, maybe all of it is opportunity to worship God, the God who meets shepherds in fields. It's a thought. But now for all, all important question that all kids love to ask, why? <laughs> why is it 
what caused this transformation in the shepherds? Why did, why did they go have this hope that he would change their socially outcast lives into key eyewitnesses for his glory? Why did they have that hope? Why did they go back to their fields, turning their work even into worship? And the key lies in that middle part of what the shepherds experienced that night. Have you ever played the game Tribond? I don't know if you have. It's a board game. I love board games, video games, all sorts of games. If you haven't known that about me already, I love them. Play them with me. It's great. But Tribond is a game where you have three things that are in common, and you try to guess what's the thing that's in common with them. So, for example, if I said COVID, election, craziest year of your life, what would it be? 2020. There it is. Okay, so there's, that's how the idea is. Tri Tribond. Now, if you were to play Jewish Tribond, and we were to say, here are three words. What is the thing in common? We're going to say the words that are in this passage. Let's see. Glory of the Lord in verse 9. Messiah in verse 11. And let's say a multitude of heavenly hosts in verse 13. What do those three things have in common in the Jewish mind? Their answer would be the day of the Lord. Now, what's the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord in the prophetic mind, in the Jewish mind, was that day when God Almighty would come on earth in all of his splendor and glory and majesty and kick butt against all of God's enemies and restore God's people to true worship. Now, that sounds pretty cool, right? Um, is that what the shepherds experienced here? Well, they, those three words happen. There's Messiah, there's the angels coming, there's the glory of the Lord, which is an amazing concept. But then the proclamation is peace on earth, goodwill to men. Hmm. And I think what the shepherds find that transforms their lives, surprisingly enough, is that the commander-in-chief of angel armies who is supposed to lead the day of the Lord in breaking was laying in a manger struggling to fill up newly formed human lungs. That the heir of David, the king, the Messiah, the savior, would come not robed in the finest battle garments, but robed in swaddling cloths. Not on a throne, but in a manger. One author put it this way, the God who knows no before or after entered time and space. That's a crazy thought. The God who knows no boundaries took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin. The ominous restraints of mortality. That's what the shepherds took in that night. That is what convinced them what God was up to if they're, with their lives. See this. If God could transform mangers into throne rooms, if he could turn babies into messiahs. <laughs> Maybe he could in turn these invisible people into eyewitnesses. Maybe he could turn fields into sanctuaries. And maybe he could turn your laundry rooms into worship rooms. Maybe he could turn your hurts into witnesses. He has a purpose for them all. Your story matters immensely 
to the God of the universe. And he can't wait to show it off to the world. Going back to our Steve-like mentality here. The Steve-like mentality is we're stuck, we're accidents, waiting for God to somehow turn into good. Ephesians 2.10 says this, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in order that we should walk in them. That verse reeks with purpose. There is purpose in almost every word of that verse. Where we are his workmanship created for good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. If we think of ourselves and our stories as those beautifully crafted pieces of art, that when I look in this room and I see you all beautifully sitting there, (laughs) I don't see accidents and mess-ups. God surely doesn't. He sees your beautifully crafted stories. And he can't wait to show off those stories to the watching universe, just as he showed off those shepherds (laughs) to the heavenly armies. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? So now, if we think of ourselves as that, could you have some hope maybe this year that even in our wounds there's opportunity for witness even in our mundaneness there's opportunity for joy and worship we're not stuck (laughs) waiting for God to do something God has us exactly where he wants us and he's going to use it he is using it right now that is the very best place to be, exactly where God wants you.